Hello and welcome to RipperCast, your podcast on Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel murders. This is episode 40, In the Footsteps of the Ripper, with Richard Jones and Discovery Tours. I'm Jonathan Mangus, and joining the show today is author and founder of Discovery Tour, Richard Jones. He's coming from London, England, from Guildford in Surrey in the UK is Philip Hutchison, and also from London, England in the UK is John Bennett, and from Charlottesville, Virginia is Ali Ryder. Richard Jones, with his company Discovery Tours, has operated London Walks since 1982. The various walks have included such subjects as the Beatles, Shakespeare, and Charles Dickens. His company was the first ever to offer a Jack the Ripper walk seven days a week, which has become possibly the most popular walking tour in existence. All told, Richard Jones's company operates over 20 various educational walking tours in London. In addition, Mr. Jones has authored several books, including the bestseller Haunted Britain and Ireland, and two recent books on the Whitechapel murders, Uncovering Jack the Ripper's London, and most recently, Jack the Ripper, the Casebook. He is also known for his appearances on the popular TV program Most Haunted Live. Joining Richard on the show today are two of his Ripper Walk tour guides, who will be familiar to listeners of the show, Philip Hutchison and John Bennett. Welcome everyone to the show. Hello. Richard, could you please give our listeners a little of your background and what inspired you to create Discovery Tours? Well, my background was that a long time ago, and uh, talking in the last century now, which seems out to say, I was a postman in the city of London. And I used to go to all these wonderful historic places and just think to myself, I want to know about these places. So I spent about a year studying them. And that literally was what inspired me then just set up and try and show these places to other people. So it's basically just a love of London and a fascination with London that got me going. And your company is, is a family-run affair, is that right? It is. It's run by myself and my wife, Joanne. So uh, it, it's uh, very much a small business, but uh, say it's, it's a family entity. Now, there's another tour company that many listeners will be familiar with, and that's London Walks, whose uh, Jack the Ripper guides include Donald Rumbelow. That organization preceded your company by a few years, if I'm not mistaken. Um, they were around, yeah. They were around, in fact, by more than a few years. I think they've been around since the late 1960s. Okay. Well, what made you believe that there was room for another walking tour company? Yeah, to, to be honest, uh, I, I wasn't certain, but uh, when, when I started up, it just became very popular, and so I enjoyed it, and peop- the people came, and that was it. And do you have any idea of how many um, different tour companies there are, walking tour companies there are now in London? In London, I'd say there's probably in the region of about uh, well, with, with companies, there's probably only two or three but uh, with uh, other people, individuals doing them on their own, we're probably talking a good uh, 100, 150 people who do different walking tours, everything from tours of the art galleries to tours of Dickens London to the sightseeing tours of Changing the Guard, etc. Okay. Um, and what are the differences between the London Walks tour and, and your company when it comes to walking in the footsteps of, of Jack the Ripper? In the first steps of Jack the Ripper, uh, the, the main difference is that we, we do uh, ask people to book so we can limit the numbers. Uh, one of the problems uh, that's sort of always been commented on in the past is just how big the Ripper tours can be. Uh, I know at one stage I, I, was, I was quite guilty of that, but uh, you can get anything up to 150, 200 people turn up for a tour. And I just didn't think that was a, a, a nice dynamic for the group. So we limited to around about 34 to 36 people. 
Okay. What and and uh, John and Philip, please chime in here whenever you guys have something to s- that you want to add to anything Richard says. But um, if you could give our listeners a brief description of what they would see and expect on a Ripper Walk. Well, I think the ba- the basic thing is that we start at all Gate East Station, so we start right in the heart of the Ripper territory. And our first turning is through. I'm, I'm sure some of the uh, listeners will be familiar with it. The wonderful old arch by the White Hart Pub that goes into Gunthorpe Street. And I always wait for that moment when you can hear the group gasp behind you because they really do feel that they're stepping back to 1888. And of course, then on the left you've got the wonderful old. Um, uh, block of flats now but uh, with the date 1886 on it which was George Holland's home for homeless women and then of course you're there in the place where Martha Tabram was murdered so I, I think that that's the start and I think that it, it's horrible to say but I think that that really is a sort of a, a climax of the walk when people really get that image of going back along the cobble street into 1888. You don't tour all of the murder sites that it we, we actually leave out the Elizabeth Stride site and the Mary Nichols site because uh, there just isn't the time to do them in, in the time covered. So, uh, but we, we do, obviously, Martha Turner, we do, um, uh, we do Emma Smith, we go on to uh, Annie Chapman, then to Mary Kelly, and then on to, uh, uh, well, we, we, we point over to where Burner Street was and then go to Mitre Square and do Catherine Eddowes. And is it true, um, Philip, um, I believe, was uh, talking on the message boards that Dorset Street, uh, what used to be Dorset Street, is now closed to the public uh, for construction reasons or something, and, but they make um, exceptions um, to let tour groups in? Or what, what's the story with visiting the former uh, site of the murder of Mary Kelly? Well, it's largely to do with, uh, believe it or not, health and safety. Uh, Dorset Street, or what was Dorset Street is now a private road but there's a lot of uh, traffic going in and out because there's a lot of food warehouses there so they have a lot of deliveries and the City of London Surveyor's Office decided that uh, they they weren't too happy about having so many groups in there when you had trucks coming in and out so what they've done is they've closed it down and as as Philip uh, wonderfully discovered for us uh, they're not banning the tours from going in there but they want to regulate the tours so they're going to license people to be able to take groups in there and I was wondering also, because you said about the problems with the tour sometimes causing as far as large groups, I've heard, and I don't know if this is accurate, that some of the locals have problems with the tours. Have any of your guides ever experienced this problem? And what do you say in answer to people who believe this has value? Right. Well, it's, it's very rare. I mean, we... we don't so much have trouble with the locals because we're with the smaller groups anyway. Uh, there have been, particularly about 10, 15 years ago, there was a lot of objection from uh, local residents, largely because a, f- a few irresponsible operators were stopping on people's doorsteps and standing under people's windows and then going through all the gory details of the murders. And uh, so that did get the local residents up in arms. There's also a lot of distancing. Uh, for example, the Ten Bells pub is trying like mad to distance itself from the Jack the Ripper-related past. But my opinion has always been that it, it is a part of East End history. Uh, and it, it, it's not just about the murders. It's a, a side of the history that makes us look at that uh, 10 to 12-week period where we can actually gaze at the everyday lives of everyday people. So it's, it's such an important part of social history, so much so that in, here in England it's even on the school curriculum for to students to study. Now, did you start um, doing Ripper Walks in 1982? Yeah, well, the very first walk I did was actually a, a ghost walk followed by a, a Dickens walk. And, but everybody kept asking me, do you do, uh, do, you do a Jack the Ripper walk? And so and, uh, I set up the Jack the Ripper walk in early 1983, uh, and that, that's, that's when I started doing the Ripper walks. And from 1983 to the present day, what about the sites 
that you take the tourists to have changed? Well, it, the most remarkable is, I mean, we don't take the tourists there anymore, but we used to do one. I used to do one with Martin Fido, where we used to start at Whitechapel Station. And uh, when we got round to the back by the board school over on uh, Derwood Street, or Bucks Row as was, uh, all the old buildings were still there. And it was, uh, it, was, it was a very remarkable atmospheric spot. But you go back there now, and just the board school survives. There's a health club. There's modern housing on the site. So it, it has changed an awful lot. And I was discussing this with Paul Begg quite recently, that my main regret is that uh, I didn't take the opportunity then to photograph so much of what I could have photographed that is now gone. On a previous podcast of Philip Hutchinson, when he first appeared on the show on the episode Tour Guide from Hell, um, I asked him about um, his experience auditioning to be a tour guide on a river walk. Uh, how do you pick who is qualified to be a guide on a Jack the Ripper walk? Uh, well, with people like Philip and John and uh, Lindsay, uh, there's, there's, I think there's, there's no need to audition them. They probably know uh, a lot more than a lot of people about the Ripper. With uh, other guides, we, we tend to sort of go for blue badge guides who specialise in East London history and have got sort of the, the in-depth knowledge uh, of that, the history of the area. And then we send them round with the guides a few times to get an idea for the route and a feel for what we're doing. And then we just basically start uh, little, little testing questions for them just to make sure that they know what they're talking about. And then off they go. And uh, we, we tend to monitor them over the first few weeks uh, as they're doing it just to make sure that, that the information they are giving is, is accurate. Because uh, as Martin Fider once observed, there's an awful lot of inaccurate information out there. Now, does your tours, and I, I've never been on, on one of your tours, the only tour I ever went on sort of related was actually in Scotland when I went on the McKenzie, tour, uh, the McKenzie Poltergeist tour. Oh, the Poltergeist, yeah. Yes, and I was very disappointed in the tour, mostly because at the end of it, they did what I considered like this very cheap gimmick. You know, you're in the tomb, and, and you're standing there, and they've told you all these scary things, and then they have some guy with a mask jump out and go, boo, kind of, or something similar. And I just thought that that completely ruined the entire <laughs> the cheap theatricals. And I was just, I mean, I, there, you have to have some theatrical. I'm not, you know, I'm not saying that that, that was necessarily bad, but... I was just wondering, are your tours, you know, are they are they history based mostly? Is it is it theatrical? How exactly would you categorize your tours as far as you know, the balancing entertainment and history? It's well, it's obviously I think with any tour, it's got to have its element of entertainment. But I, th I think with with the Jack the Ripper story, it is such a fascinating story, uh, well presented. I, I don't think you need any gimmicks. I mean, one of the things we we say to people, uh, we often get asked by people when they phone up, you know, do you have people jump out on us? And uh, my reply to that, which we put on the website, is uh, well, most certainly not. But uh, at least if we do, they're nothing to do with us. <laughs> So you can't guarantee it won't happen. It just won't be scripted. <laughs> I can't guarantee it won't happen. As I say, I'd be the first out of there if someone did. <laughs> I think there was a company once that uh, a long time ago now who did actually hire an actor who used to go around in the sort of the top hat and cape. Uh, but uh, it, came to, it came to an abrupt halt when he jumped out on the wrong group. <laughs> That's what I was curious about because I know Philip's background, I mean, is, as well as being a historian, he has theater background. So I was wondering, um, when you pick the tour guides, if you're looking more for someone who's comfortable in front of an audience um, and who can, you know, entertain uh, verbally um, and theatrically over um, um, knowing their history. I mean, it must be kind of difficult finding the perfect mix of of an actor, which you know Philip is, um, as as well as a historian. Oh, very much so. Yes, I mean, there's it's it. it 
when, when, when we choose the people, I mean, you, you can often see first glance when you start talking to somebody if they've got the passion to be able to put it across to a group and uh, tell the story. And the whole thing is that uh, the way I see it is that it's, it's the art of storytelling. And I think if you're, if you're a good storyteller, you're sort of uh, 75% of the way there. And then, of course, you, you have to be uh, conversant with the facts. But um, I think the main thing is that for that two hours that you've got that group, you've got to hold that group's attention and you've got to entertain that group. And, of course, theatrical training comes in incredibly useful for that. I think the ideal is, it's, you know, you, um, everyone here would expect a, a ripper tour guy to know their stuff and not come up with anything that's, that's nonsense. But that's as read. But also, if you can't sort of deliver it in a way that sort of keeps people's attention I mean, it, may, it might be full of facts and all that sort of stuff but if you're delivering it in a really dull voice like that it's it's not going to be good and the same goes if you're a really sparkly presenter but you're talking a load of old nonsense it's if you get the two then i think you're on to a winner really but it's um you're in competition with other tour companies i mean literally uh on the same spots uh, on occasion so i would imagine that that you would you know you don't want your tour group to look over at x tour group you know across the street and say oh gosh i wish i was on that tour you know um does that ever uh you do you do encounter other tour groups um oh yeah yeah and does, so that, does that thought ever cross your mind as you're as you're you know you want to elevate your voice or you know kick kick I it in, kick it into a higher gear when you're ar- around other tour groups to kind of uh, show yourself or well the only the only time I ever think of that is when you get if you're somewhere and and you get um these tours I think it's the other the other company and uh, they turn up with about a hundred people. And suddenly your group look around as if to say, what the hell is that? And then there's a little <laughs> tiny tour guide and it's sort of, it's a little bit, oh, there's only 30 odd of us and there's a hundred of them. But, um, no, I think I'd, it's, I'd, uh, I personally tend to use that as a kind of selling point for the people that have come with us. I point towards that group and say, look at what you could have had. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Meaning being one in, one in a, a massive crowd. Yeah, certainly with our company, uh, people get to go and see a lot of backstreets and things that they don't get to see with bigger groups because they simply don't have the logistical capability of taking people around some of the narrow alleyways that we can go down because of the size of the group is limited. Can you give some examples of some things that your your tour groups, the smaller groups, can see that the larger cannot? Uh, Gunthorpe Street is, is straight away an obvious one. They don't get to go down there. Um, I don't think the larger groups get to stop outside the uh, the frying pan pub. The frying pan is generally where we tell people about the Polly Nichols murder. Um, they let's see. I'm trying to think of elsewhere. Come on, Richard, you're the boss. Where else oh, do we go to? They can't get down. <laughs> I would say a, a Angel Alley is a favourite with me uh, because uh, that that is such a narrow alleyway. But uh, also the, the streets around Fournia Street, Wilkes Street, because they, I think they're such fantastic, such atmospheric streets. Uh, but of course, with, with a, a big group over a hundred, you just wouldn't be able to get into the streets. You'd be blocking the traffic, not just the pedestrians. So I think that they they have to miss that out because uh, again, they have yeah. complaints. Yeah, that's true. The Hanbury Street thing, we can actually take people to where the doorway of uh, Twenty Nine used to be. But the, but the big groups, they have to actually stop at the junction with Wilk Street or go into the, the brewery area which is now given over to the, the, the car parking so that so groups of them they don't get to go to the site because the, the pavement uh, or sidewalk is too narrow for them to go down I find a good one is if, if you've got the right sort of um, if you've got the right day when it's shut the uh, entrance to 
108 to 119 Wentworth dwellings. When the restaurant's shut, you can actually stand in that doorway with your little group huddled around you and sort of talk to them about it and say, well, this is the doorway, you know, and that one step sort of... <laughs> and watch all, the other guys, watch all the other guys standing Going in front of every yeah. single other doorway in Cold Street. Yeah. <laughs> right. But if you had a massive group, it's, it's the impact, I think, is taken away from it. And a lot of them, they stand on the opposite side of the road, filling up the, filling up the pavement. Whereas, you know, if you're lucky and you get there first, we're all sort of huddled right round the very spot. And the, they, people like that. They sort of say, you know, it was actually here. It was dropped here. And they go, ooh. And obviously it's one of the, one of the sites that's still, still there. It's, uh, it, it wasn't pulled down in the early 70s like everything else. So that's quite a, a nice thing. For, but yeah, but they get to sort of huddle around it, which is nice. And they can even have a bag of chips. <laughs> Indeed. I, I had a guy on one of my tours suddenly disappear, and we saw him coming out of the restaurant holding a bag of chips and all that. So everyone was taking the mickey out of him, and then I said, well, it's all very well you taking the mickey out, but he's actually been through the very doorway, and you haven't. <laughs> so he was a bit of a hero after that. Now, you were saying about the, uh, how the powers that be in London are uh, concerned about access to sites like uh, the former Dorset Street, which is a service road, because of the large uh, sizes. Is, is the opinion of the, the council or whoever makes these decisions in London kind of a, a turning um, negative towards these uh, large uh, river walk tours? As far as the groups 100, I mean, do you think it will eventually benefit your company in the long run to limit your groups to about 30 and maybe the larger groups of 100 or so people will be marginalize or or is you know or is the uh, the large groups um is is it going to be a blanket threat to your industry kind of in, in in restricting you know those masses of people on the streets i think it's i think it's always going to be you're always going to get the large groups purely and simply because people just turn up so you've got no way of knowing uh, with with those tours how many people are going to turn up I think the, the problem with the powers that be in London it isn't so much the, the size of the groups, but they're just worried about things like public liability insurance, and that, that's the main thing that, they, that they're concerned with. Uh, with Dorset Street, because it's a private road, if someone has an accident or gets knocked over by one of the trucks, then they're going to have a claim against them, and obviously if the claim's against them, they're going to want to make sure that they can then claim against somebody else. So that, that's the main issue about it, is they want to make sure that everyone who's doing it is licensed and has got full public liability insurance. Now, is there a limit to the number of people that you can take in a single group, I mean, permit-wise, or how does that work? Uh, no, I don't. permit-wise, that the permit is, is all the permit, as far as my reading of it is, is going to be, is just to make sure that uh, you've got public liability insurance. Uh, so I don't think that uh, they, they're going to put any limit on the groups. I mean, I, I think sensibly, especially for Jack the Ripper. I mean, I, you know, the, the maximum I would say for one guide would be thirty-nine, forty, but uh, preferably sort of mid-thirties. I think would be the best. Now, at the beginning, you said that there was a couple of sites that you weren't able to visit in the regular Jack the Ripper tour due to time constraints. Is there like a Jack the Ripper Part 2 tour where some of the others, plus maybe the torsos or anything that you could throw in there? I just I, I asked because um, several, several years ago when I went to London for the first time, I had a wonderful private tour with Stuart Evans who picked us up off the plane and, and took us around to every single site and I had just gotten off of the plane. I was jet lagged and nursing a case of the flu and I don't remember a single thing about that tour. <laughs> every place and pointed out every you know, this was just, you know, he, he was very nice and did it and I don't remember 
anything of it. And so I've always thought that when I go back one day, if I can't, you know, get someone like Stuart Evans to do me a little private favor, that I would take one of these tours. And I, I had known about, um, you know, obviously your company, which has the smaller size, so I was interested in it. But, um, you know, for someone like me, I, I would. It, it's not just a general interest, it's a specific interest, and I would like to see um, all of the... Uh, the spots and, and things. So, do you have like two tours? Can you bribe the tour guide afterwards? <laughs> Thank you. I'm, 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 I'm sure bribery is acceptable. I'll, I'll I'm up for John it. <laughs> 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 I mean, I'm uh, still say, <laughs> Well, with Martin, uh, Martin Fyde and myself, we used to do sort of the uh, every murder site. It was a Friday night tour that Martin did, and uh, I think it took about three and a half to four hours mm. to get round everything in the area. And then Martin also used to do, he used to do this wonderful thing in this, in what's the city dance then, but the Princess Alice as was and is again now. We used to do a, um, a walk and then end with Martin giving a slideshow in, in the, uh, in the upstairs room of the, of the city dance. But um, I think the problem is that, uh, especially in today, today's age, pe- pe- people don't want to be walking for three, three to three and a half hours. So uh, that, that's the problem. And uh, to me, I think a Jack the Ripper masterclass would be fantastic. But w- whether the people would come on it, I don't know. But you allow your tour guides to moonlight as tour guides for private tours, wouldn't you? Like, oh, a, yes, yeah. Like, there's no constraints as far as them being able to take around a small group that no. organize themselves and at their own free time visit all the sites that they would like to see. Yes, no, no problem at all, yeah. Okay. Um, now, we did receive a couple of questions um, emailed from our listeners, and each of you can take turns answering. One of them comes from Derek in Cheltenham in the UK and asks, what sort of people generally take these walking tours? Is that as in who actually go on them or the right. people, or the guides? I presume it means the people that go on them, isn't right. it? Um, oh, crikey, all sorts, isn't it? It's yeah, um, yeah. You get a lot of couples. You've got to get, get a lot of couples who are sort of in their 20s, 30s, I've found. Um, you know, just sort of partners or husband and wife, things like that. I always find that when you get the list of, of your group there's lots of pairs lots of twos um yeah very rarely you'll get one person on their own number uh, one person there um <laughs> they're the ones you're scared yes. of <laughs> yeah the ones that follow you around and ask you strange questions about you know kidneys and that. Um, but um yeah but it's all sorts um you know people elderly p- groups all sorts it's um a lot, a lot nice of women as well it's a yeah. yeah, it tends to be well, when couples yeah. book, it's always the woman who's the one who's got the in- interest and it's the yeah. husband who's under sufferance. <laughs> I, I do have to say we did have the ultimate last year, which is a, which a first for me, and that's we had someone call us. Uh, Mark, Mark Upstall, another guide, was doing it that night. and um, A man phoned up to say that uh, could, could the guide stop uh, when we got to Catherine Edo's site because he, he wanted to propose to his girlfriend on the site where Catherine Edo was murdered. <laughs> Uh, and I wasn't certain quite. <laughs> I, I, she, she said yes, but uh, I wasn't certain how she'd, how she'd feel about that sort of a, a romantic gesture. <laughs> now, some of um, uh, the tour sites in the United States that are popular, like um, the Alamo and things like that, are a lot of um, foreigners. You know, the Americans who who go on uh, tours. Uh, typically in the United States are like school children who are forced to go, you know. Um, but you, but I, I'm on Twitter and I see that a lot of Brits go on, on Jack the Ripper walks. Do you, do you guys um, have anything to say about what kind of breakdown of, you know, um, 
tourists from certain countries might prefer to go on the Riverwalk as you know that you find more Americans than Brits, or is it kind of an equal number? Or? I would say more, more Brits. I mean, we, uh, we we are predominantly Brits who go on the tours. I think then close coming close second, uh, we get a lot of Americans, Australians, uh, Europeans. It's very popular in Germany. We don't tend to get that many Italians on it. Although we we have got a an Italian tour going out on Tuesday, where it's going to be done exclusively in Italian, which is the first time we've done it completely in Italian. Uh, just making some interesting stuff for translation. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I'd say predominantly Brits, uh, closely followed Americans, Australians, and then. Europeans. And um, you had mentioned that the subject is taught in the schools. Do you also find school groups uh, we get a, booking to get a, take the tour? Yeah, yeah, we get a lot, a lot of school groups on it. I felt really bad the last time I was there because I happened to be in my hotel room. I guess this was in 2007. I was in my hotel lobby, and there was a woman and her son there. And just out of the blue, they started talking about Jack the Ripper and having to go on a Jack the Ripper tour. And I'm standing there, and they're like, well, who should we go with? I'm like, you know, I really should know this. And I'm trying to think of you know, the names of things to give to people. And, and, you know, and I couldn't do it, but they were both, they were an American. It was a mother and her son, and she was just trying to come up with a, a, an interesting thing for her son to do while they were in London. And uh, they wanted to go on a Ripper tour. So, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's a very, very popular thing uh, for, you know, for people who are just uh, looking for a sort of a, something interesting to do, whether they're, they're um, British or whatever. It, it could be a thing to do for the afternoon. That's right. I mean, the interesting thing about it is that um, a, lo- a lot of people who, who book it that way don't actually know that much about Jack the Ripper. They, they know the name, and I think it's one of those few things that can just the name alone can sell it. I, I know um, people who uh, have taken the Ripper walks and, and from America, and um, and you find maybe you guys would find that they they have. Um, they're doing several different tours. Jack the Ripper is just one tour out of several that they that they would be taking, you know, to different uh, things in and around London. And so maybe their their interest isn't specifically Jack the Ripper, and that's why they're doing it. But it's just just one of uh, quite a few uh, historical tours that they would take while they were there. That's right. Oh, I mean, they, they. Sorry, over to you, Philip. Oh, that was John. Actually, I think oh, that was me. Sorry, John. <laughs> Over to you, Johnny. I find the I find the Americans are, are quite enthusiastic. They, um, you know, they they always seem I don't know whether it's because they you know they've heard about it so much or it's a sort of a legendary thing and suddenly they're in not just in the country but they're in the actual places and see the actual places where these things happen. But I've, I always find if you, you have quite a lot of Americans in your group, um, it tends to be a, a rather successful evening. Um, I don't know if anyone else feels that. They tip as well, which is nice. <laughs> I think uh, <laughs> Steve Steve Pembleton is playing the tour guide in this UK TV series Whitechapel um, in the ep- was, episode was that was on ask, last week. I was going to bring it that was, up, yes. <laughs> he, he had one line, and I was laughing out loud because it was so true, and I'm, I'm, I'm positive both Richard and John can concur with this wholeheartedly. At the end of the tour, he was trying to sell his book, and everybody walked off, and he said, oh, it was a load of Germans tonight. I like the Americans best. They're enthusiastic, and they always want a souvenir. <laughs> Right. Yep. <laughs> uh, Philip's referring to, uh, well, I'll go ahead and talk about it now since you brought it up, the series Whitechapel, which is currently running on ITV. One of its main characters is a Riverwalks tour guide. And he's portrayed as kind of an eccentric individual, to say the least, uh, whose interest in the Whitechapel murders is viewed with sus- suspicion by the police. And I think he's rumored to be arrested uh, 
in the next episode, uh, standing over the body of the Mitre Square victim. Philip kind of talked about it, but what, what are your guys' view of how the tour guide in this series is portrayed? And what are your overall impressions of, of the show, if you've seen it? I don't think he's based on any of us, hopefully. <laughs> no, I do know who he is based on, and he's, it's, not, it's not a very accurate representation of who he's based on. Some of the stuff that uh, the character's doing is, uh, is pretty accurate. He's clearly spoken to one or two tour guides, got their opinions, and he's seen one or two uh, actually conducting them. But nevertheless, I think the majority of the character is based on people's assumption of what a tour guide is. And certainly the way it's delivered is nothing like anybody for, from this company would deliver it. For those of us who haven't seen the show, can you tell us how they're portraying this tour guide and how it's inaccurate? Because I have not seen the show, so I'm not quite clear on what you mean. Sure, yeah, it's... Uh, the, the, <laughs> well, the, the, first, the first time we see Pemberton's character conducting a tour, it's a lot of hand gesticulation. There's great drama and dramatic pauses. So, if you wish to see down the darkest recesses of the human mind, tonight is the night... <laughs> You may meet the Ripper yourself. And uh, if any of us did that, the, I think our groups would walk away thinking, what the hell have we just paid for? I'd definitely walk away <laughs> before finishing the tour. Like, okay, and his visit, his visit to Hanbury Street was a bit short as well, wasn't it? But it's, it was. It lasted about 30 seconds. The thing that was yeah. particularly funny with the Hanbury Street moment was the fact that the, the actors playing the policemen were hanging around the actual spot of the murder and Pemberton's character actually stopped to show them where Hanbury Street, number 29 Hanbury Street was, another bay down the street. <laughs> like most of the other guys, I think. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> And uh, we discussed this uh, on the message boards about how um, he carries along with him a huge piece of luggage that carries all of his books. That he's, that he, and he's kind of swinging it as he walks, you know. And, and sometimes he uh, he leaves his tour group in the dust. Um, it's in that Hanbury Street scene in particular, he when he's walking by the police officers, he just kind of flies past, you know. It, leaving his little group trailing, you know, about 20 yards behind him. Um, <laughs> but um, any of you guys have comments about the Whitechapel show? Or did Philip pretty quite, much sum it up? I quite liked I liked it. It was nice to... Hmm. It was interesting to watch something that's about, you know, about this thing that we're all interested in. And I think it was one of the first things I've actually watched to do with anything to do with Jack the Ripper where you don't start picking holes in it. Well, I didn't. Yeah. So it was just, you know, it was just nice to watch it for what it was, which was like a crime drama. And I was watching it with some people who didn't really know much about Jack the Ripper. So I was enjoying all the in-jokes and the references, all the people's names, thinking, oh, well, that's, that's them. Right. But they were able to enjoy it for what it was without sort of necessarily knowing all the, the in-jokes and things like that. So I was, I was looking forward to the next one. It was quite good. It's certainly been made with an awareness of the Ripper community and, and how fastidious and pedantic we are about things. And that's been alluded to in some of the media articles that the producers have done. Uh, and I think they've, they have hit many nails on the head. Right. And um, in his first scene, uh, um, the uh, police officer, I think, calls him a loony or something like that. Um, Ripperologist, you know, I think he actually says, I hate ripperologists. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> the, the, the other one was the ripper tour guide. What a weird job. <laughs> yeah, now, yeah. What kind of response do the people who take your tours give you, like if it's at the end or whatever, about uh, interest in, in, in how you've became uh, wrapped up in, in uh, doing these Jack the Ripper walks? And then secondly, do you kind of hide the fact of, to, to uh, the people you would meet that, you know, you, you're a Ripper tour guide or, you know? 
I don't know about Philip and John, but the one, the one thing I, I, I often hide, I mean, if I get into a taxi I, and they say to me, what do you do? I often go, oh, I'm an accountant, because I just know the way any <laughs> <laughs> conversation, you, you, you won't yeah. get the question that you always get asked. Who do you think it was then? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> they, yeah they do like um, asking... Sorry, go on. No, 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 you first, John. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, they do, <laughs> they, do, they do ask, you know, quite, it's quite common for... Uh, I presume it's the same with with you two, but um, they do ask you things like, you know, so, uh, you know, do you do this often, and how often do you do it, and how did you get into it? And it's quite nice when they say something like, well, it's obvious you know your stuff. I mean, if they don't know anything, I could be telling them anything, really. But but it's nice when they say, you know, it's obviously, you know, you know, because, you know, all the facts you've got in your head, and and obviously we're only scraping the surface, really. Um, but they, there was always someone who sort of says, "So you know, how long you been doing it? Why, why did you get interested in it?" Which is always nice in, in between stops. And then you do get often, obviously. So who do you think it was? <laughs> and I say, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I, I tend to have an answer for them when they ask me, uh, "Why did you get? How did you get interested in it?" I always give them a one-word answer, which is empathy, and see if they. Tag on to what I'm saying. <laughs> Clearly, they often don't get it. And, often, and again, when they ask me, say, how long have you been doing it? I say, I met you all at seven o'clock. <laughs> um, now, uh, the John statement kind of brought up this question in my mind. Is that do you allow the um, the people on your tours to pepper you with questions all along the route? Or you, do you try to um, keep... Is there a question time at the end of the tour or how? Because I would imagine if you're in a site like Mitre Square and maybe there's another group waiting in the wings to, you know, or and people start asking you questions, um, how do you deal with um, with the tourists who want to ask you questions a- as you're going along? Me personally, I, I do like questions being asked throughout the tour because I think it's, A, it, uh, it, it, it gets the group involved with you, but B, it means that you're... You know, you, you you've got something different all the time because you never know what questions you're going to get asked. Uh, and I think the great thing is you can you can get some really you know, pertinent questions about that you know you might not have thought about for ages. But it also helps you then to introduce different aspects of the case as well. So apart from the school groups who sort of suddenly just blurt out a question halfway through your sentence, say, "Oh, are you going to show us a horrible picture?" and things like that. <laughs> but um, they usually they usually. If they ask you a question, it's usually um, they usually do it in between in between stops, which is quite nice because it sort of breaks that up a little bit. And it's like Richard was saying, it's it's nice when they asking you other things. Um, what was the one that happened to me? There was an elderly gentleman who was on one of my tours weeks back. I think I mentioned this to Philip a while back. And as we left Hanbury Street, he said he came up to me and said, "Excuse me," he said. Do you remember what it was? Did you ever come down here when 29 Hanbury Street was still still there? And I thought to myself, how old does he think I am? <laughs> but then he, I said, well, no, it was demolished about two years after I was born. Uh, but which point, then he sort of said, oh, yes, because I, I came down here. And he was telling me all about what it was like. Um, this was about 1965, he reckons. So it's nice when you get, get people like that or some people who like do filming in the area worked for a film company and he'd, he'd done all that so he was sort of talking about how interested he is in the area and stuff like that so it's always it's it's nice when people ask you questions sometimes they you know you go from stop to stop and no one actually asks you anything but it's uh, 
I, I, like, I like questions too. I'm fine with questions also. I, I do like them asked when I'm not in the middle of saying something, though. If, if we've just finished at a site, someone puts their hand up, I'd be delighted to answer questions. Um, but I I'm, I'm hate being interrupted, though. I'll do it if they want to do it, but I'd sooner they didn't. Uh, I'm, I particularly like uh, some of the school groups. They never cease to amaze you. You get asked the most left-field questions by some of the students, and they're almost always really <laughs> relevant and interesting ones that, uh, that the majority of adults wouldn't think of asking. My favourite one from school groups is uh, on the as uh, before you get to the first stock. Say, are you Jack the Ripper? <laughs> once again, once again, how old do you think I am? <laughs> a lot of the students, do, a lot of the students still think he's alive. They say, "Oh, is he still around?" Yes, he's very, very old. But uh, there's great longevity in Whitechapel these days. <laughs> well, I, I, I have to say, I actually, get the ultimate. Oh, what, what was you, that? What was that? <laughs> I said that I, I was once, uh, my, my two boys are uh, 9 and 11, uh, the, the oldest one was at school once, and they did a, what does your dad do? And so people said accountant, he's in advertising, and my son told his teacher that I was Jack the Ripper. <laughs> said, my dad's Jack the Ripper. <laughs> it's like the, the school tours are, are, are so varied, you never get any the same, and obviously kids are kids and things like that, but I had this, uh, I had a group a while back, um, and on that occasion, I took them down, I think where Philip, I don't normally go there, but I took them down the side to Angel Alley, um, around that little car park area on mm-hmm. Gunthorpe Street. And just to be on safe side, I sort of looked around the corner just to sort of make sure, you know, there wasn't anyone dubious around there or anything like that. And uh, they all said, what are you looking for? What are you looking for? <laughs> oh, no, oh, nothing, just, you know, drug dealers, that sort of thing. No, no, no. And they were absolutely <laughs> terrified. That they were sort of all these sort of hard, um, hard sixteen-year-old teenagers, and they were they were terrified from the word go. <laughs> <laughs> I did kind of ask uh, Philip this question when he was first on, but I'll rephrase it. And since we have John and Richard here, they'll get their input. Um, and and uh, you had mentioned that your tour is the only group that you would have to make reservations in advance, and um, other tours like kind of like they portray in that Whitechapel series uh people just kind of show up with their money in their hands um at a certain spot um prearranged and and pay and pay and then go is is that right that's right yes yeah so how would you uh deal with members of the public who may not have paid to be on the tour just kind of showing up and wanting to tag along Oh, <laughs> you get that. Oh, do you mean just tagging on to the back of the group as you go? Yeah, either tagging on to the back of the group uh, as you know an unpaid guest, or or maybe if they if they saw it, you know, if they were, just happened to be there and they were a tourist or something and wanted to to jump in. Well, I think uh, if if they just turn up and want to pay cash on the night, uh, if we're up to our limit, then we just can't take them. We just you know we just have to say sorry. We do have a limit. We do advertise a limit. Uh, if we haven't reached the sort of the thirty-four and there's just a few of them, then yeah, we we can take them then. But uh, on the whole, we we sort of le- reach the limit every night. But as for people just latching onto the groups, it's it, it can happen anywhere in London. I mean, you, you, I, I do a ghost walk, I do a Dickens walk, and people often do stop and they they sort of look at you and then they start listening to what you're saying. Uh, there's not a great deal you can do because, of course, you're on, you're on the public highway. So they've, they've got as much right to be on the public highway as you have. If they tend to then sort of latch on and carry on going around with us, I do tend to sort of take them to one side and sort of say, you know, this is a, this is a, a tour people have booked, you know. And they often 
understand them. Just say, oh, where can I book it? And then you can sort of point them to the website. Uh, I think Lindsay <laughs> did have the, uh, an issue the other week where two people actually tagged on in Hanbury Street that she didn't notice had tagged on. And they came up to her in Mitre Square and sort of said, oh, this is, this is great. And she said, uh, and she realized they hadn't booked and, and they just tagged along. And she said, oh, this, this is a, a tour. And they said, oh. Uh, and they probably just ran off. <laughs> so, but, uh, I don't know what that says about Lindsay. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I had a couple a couple of nights ago. Apparently, I didn't know to the end of the talk. So when you're taking round, you know, thirty five people or so, you don't clock everybody's faces. You know, you serve them, you're polite to them, and you look at them, but you can't remember what they look like. And uh, certainly, when we're walking up Hanbury Street uh, at the end of the tour, a couple told me that two people had uh, started walking behind us who hadn't paid, and they stayed the rest of the tour, and I had no idea that they'd even joined us. Yeah. So it can happen. Now, Richard had mentioned earlier the uh, couple who um, the man wanted to propose to his fiancée in Mitre Square. If that's not the strangest thing is that has <laughs> happened on one of your tours, um, and this is a question from one of our listeners, what is the strangest thing that has happened on one of the Ripper Walks? I, I think for me it's... Um, it's I, I, I don't want to know what it is. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ali doesn't want to know the answer. <laughs> well, you can mute your uh, mic if you'd like. Mutilated woman isn't the strangest thing. Uh, okay. No, anyway. <laughs> Interesting to see how long the marriage lasts. Maybe <laughs> <laughs> <the> future. <laughs> I, I think this, 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 the strangest thing that's ever happened to me is that I was in, uh, in Dorset Street uh, one, one day uh, and, uh, and the, all the, the police all turned up at the car park, White's Road car park opposite and uh, there's, there's, there was a big, they, they were chasing a suspect. And so all the group was sort of turning around watching the police chase this suspect who just kept clambering over the side of the uh, the car park, dropping down to the next level. And my group was just going, he's over there, he's over there. <laughs> so they were sort of directing the police to where this suspect was, uh, which, which was quite, quite <laughs> Yes, yeah, so, I mean, that, 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 was, that takes some beating. <laughs> Uh, my favourite one was uh, some years back before I was working for Richard. My group was stopped outside the Ten Bells, and we heard this bicycle bell ring, and they parted, <laughs> and a man cycled through the middle of the group stark naked. <laughs> that was, it was brilliant. <laughs> sorry, sorry about that, Philip. I just couldn't help it. <laughs> <laughs> Upstage by my own boss. <laughs> I've I've not been doing it long enough, really. I don't think to to have anything strange happen. I did have, on, on my very third, on only my third tour, it was a school tour, and we were in Mitre Square, and uh, it was coming up near the end, and this gentleman, gentleman of the road, um, came in through Mitre Passage, and the kids immediately sort of thought, oh my God, ooh, and they all started getting a bit jumpy. And he came over, and I was talking about the, the kidney, and as I was talking about the kidney, he went, oh, this is where I live. He was a member of the royal family, wasn't he? I'm sure you've had sort of hecklers and things like that. But it was yeah. when I mentioned this this possibility that the the portion of Caponetto's kidney had bright. Oh, is it? He said he'd been um, he'd been in hospital. I've been in hospital. I've just come out, and he was taking a drink of something out of a bottle. And as I mentioned. Uh, Bright's disease. He suddenly went. That's what I've got. <laughs> <laughs> and he promptly followed us all round as we kept moving to different bits of the square to avoid him. He'd follow us and start oh. singing and things like that. But that's just sort of like a heckler sort. It's just the fact that he said, "I've got that." We mentioned Bright's disease. My time will come, I'm sure. Yeah, uh, you, you've, you've not, you're not running to the Rastafarian gentleman yet around Hanbury Street. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You have right, yeah. Have. Yes, he's, I have. He's, yeah. uh, he's quite a character. 
he says the same thing to every single group, and uh, and you think, you know, fancy that somebody coming up to and saying the same thing to every single group that he sees. Wouldn't get me doing that. <laughs> what, what does he say? Uh, it's it's not suitable for podcasts. I was going to say. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I like it when I, I when you get um, it's usually in Hanbury Street when you're um, outside when by the brewery there. It's quite common there for a car to go past at breath, breakneck speed when someone shouts out, Jet River! as it goes past. And everyone sort of yeah. looks and laughs. And I always say, ah, that's uh, one of our rival tour companies. They're the, um, the rapid tour. Um, they get around <laughs> in about 20 minutes. They just go past all the, all the sites. And when they go past one, they go, Jet River! I said, but for £2.50 and a pickled egg, you can't really complain. So that, that sort of drive by river. that little bit. Drive yeah. by Ripper, yeah. <laughs> Never ceases to amaze me the thought that goes into their heckles. Yeah, I had a guy the other week said, "You're all gonna die." <laughs> oh, well done, everybody's gonna die one day. What a what a yeah, prophecy! Exactly. Yeah, I made it home all right. <laughs> <laughs> because this uh, tour takes place in you know in the pub- public streets, um, how long do you s- typically stop at each location, um, and um, do you allow like uh, if? Places like in Mitre Square, where it's a little bit of a, more of an open area, do do you allow the tour groups to kind of linger, or is it, or do you really want to get in and out of these sites? I think it's it's basically just as long as it takes to, to t- tell the actual story of what happened and then get questions. So we, nothing's rushed. I mean, it's it's we we sort of do it at a nice relaxed pace. I think, at least I do. <laughs> Certain places it's more comfortable to sort of to let, obviously at the, the first stop you're sort of giving a bit of an introduction to mm. the social conditions and things like that, and then you do the Martha Tabram and all that. So you've got a little bit of length there. But I find that because um, I stop at the the not the um, frying pan end of Brick Lane, um, oh, sorry Thrall Street, so they can actually see Thrall Street properly. So that's not too bad. It's a bit noisy, but it's when you get to um, Christchurch. If you're hanging around outside Christchurch. That's always a good one to sort of see if you can just get away a bit quick, just because of the noise and, and the disruption. Yeah. I think once once you've left Hanbury Street and you're going on towards Dorset Street, it's sort of like you're out of the woods, and you know from there on everything's going to be a bit quieter and less crowds and all this sort of thing. But um, those ones, the noisy ones, it's see if you can sort of get going quite quickly. But otherwise, and it's quiet, you can sort of linger. Can't you? I'm certainly glad to get uh, the Ten Bells and Christchurch out of the way. It's because of the traffic noise, it, ta- it really takes it out of your voice. And with the current conditions in Dorset Street, um, I read, I believe, that um, you have to make a prearranged appointment. Is that right? Where you kind of have to That's right. maybe time your walk to make sure you're at Dorset Street at a, at a specified time? That, that's in. what the plan is. That's what the plan is to do. It, ha- it hasn't been introduced <laughs> it, yet. So it won't work. The planning. <laughs> so the it's planning simply, simply to buzz. It, 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 yeah, certainly to buzz to come in. I can see that working, but to, but to let them know when you're meant to be there every time is, is simply, it, logistically, it cannot work. There's no way it can work because everything is dependent on the speed of your group and what time you get away in the first place. Mm. If you're hanging on 10 minutes for members of the group that haven't yet arrived, which happens you know, frequently, there's no way you can catch up. Can there be like a window, like your window of time is, I mean, I don't, are, are they doing it, a sp- you must be there at 10.04, etc., or is it a window like you have from 10 to 10.20, and as long as you, uh, you know, how are they, I mean, that's, how are they planning on doing that? Because obviously, the yep, they've, they've not, 
they've not yet specified uh, how, they're, how they're planning to work it. I'm presuming they're trying to arrange set times simply so that uh, they can have someone from security there to open the gate for us, which would be electronically controlled, I understand. Uh, and I, th- I think I think that's what that's what the plan is. But uh, they're going to see very quickly that it that it's it simply will not work that way. Mm. And with that site, um, w- at what point in your tour do you visit Dorset Street? Uh, Dorset Street's probably around uh, about maybe forty minutes, forty five, fifty minutes into the tour for me at least. Anyway, um, do you find that the folks who are taking these tours have? A preference like for a Mary Kelly murder site in mind, or um, do they? Are they mostly all coming at this cold to where a Mitre Square with an Eddowes murder site means as much to them as maybe going to see where Mary Kelly's murder site is? I think Philip said this on his podcast before. The one of the good things about the way we do it is that we do actually go where the things happened. Um, if Okay, 29 Hanbury Street's not there anymore, but when you tell them that Annie Chapman was apparently seen standing outside and your group is standing there where she was and obviously Mary Kelly's murder site and all the, all the other ones where you can stand on the spot, they, that's as a certain resonance for them. They, they mm. enjoy that, which is why I can't understand when you get the other some of the other companies that don't go anywhere near. You know, they'll, they'll talk about the Galston Street apron and writing halfway down Wentworth Street somewhere like that I've been on a tour where they literally didn't visit anywhere apart from no they didn't not even Dorset Street they stood at the end and that was before you weren't allowed so it's it's always good to be right where it happened so um Mm. but do you um Mary Kelly being the most famous Ripper victim that may be the name that many of the people who are taking these tours is most familiar with do you find that when you get to the site of her murder, and now that it's becoming kind of more difficult for you to get to the site of their murder, it's uh, a letdown for some of the people, or do they just, you know, do, uh, do they, or, or can you not judge like whether they, it's a, a miter square from a Dorset Street as far as the the makeup of the people who are taking your tour, what they may be most interested in seeing? Do you have people saying, "Oh, when are we going to get to Mary Kelly's murder site?" Or <laughs> you know. I, I think on the whole, I mean, I think people, people, I think you get a, a bigger reaction from Mitre Square, purely in yeah. because it's still got the cobblestones there. But I think uh, basically it's, it, it's, it's all to do with, with, with the story. I think uh, when people realise what happened, what the area was like, and I, I find that the best reaction I get, as I said earlier, is in Gunthorpe Street, and also when they're doing the old houses around Wilk Street, uh, Fournier Street, and all around there, because the, these are the buildings as they were, and this is the area as it was. So I think that, that, I think that has a a lot more resonance sometimes than uh, than going to the murder site itself. You ever get disappointment that the murder sites are not intact? We you, you often get people saying, "Oh, you know, so the, why, why couldn't they leave them? They should have left them there." And mm. uh, you know, you have to explain that. Well, you know, L- L- London is a, a living city, uh, and, and you know, the murder sites murder sites themselves aren't aren't that important to cor- corporations. Because I was sort of thinking about that, like how, you know, just things that, that I've been on that are, that, are, that are intact, but they're kept intact pretty much by um, the, the touring that, that goes through there. You know, it's sort of like they have a private company that is the only one who tours them, and also those monies help preserve whatever it is. But again, when we're talking about the Ripper sites, we're talking about sites that have been spread out 
over you know it's not the Lizzie Borden house it's not exactly. it's not something that oh. you can you can maintain it, it it's spread out over an entire city and you know I guess it's too bad that you know a hundred years ago somebody didn't set up a tour site and buy every single that's right so we'll have that one <laughs> <laughs> y'all would be out I, of job I guess so. <laughs> I, I, I use the actually I've developed this thing where I actually used the fact that a lot of the murder sites were demolished in the early 70s even the ones we don't mm. mention because we show pictures so they can see what they would have looked like which is quite an important thing as well and it as we go through I mentioned George R. Buildings Bucks Row Charlotte de Rothschild Dwellings 29 Hanbury Street and each time I say they were demolished in the early 1970s and then by the time we get to Galston Street I'll say well ladies and gentlemen you can guess what happened to Wentworth Dwellings can't you and they all go demolished in the early 1970s <laughs> no they're over there and they all go hey they all cheer nice so it's quite a nice little that just came about by accident but um, that's important we show we show photographs Oh, and good. so they get to see the um, the places as they were. Because um, Dorset Street, um, I mean, it, it'd be kind of hard to, de- in a way, it'd be hard to describe, um, you know, with words, what, what kind mm. of place Dorset Street mm. was in 1888 compared to the way it looks today, um, you know, to get the um, the the members of, of the group to, you know, contemplate this, the mass of people. That, that congregated in that little area, um, so that it is. That's good that you ha- do show pictures, you know. And I think that's very nice for the groups as well. For example, we, one of the first photographs we show is of Whitechapel High Street, where you can actually see the Whitechapel St Mary's. And I think it's mm. great to see, you see, see the groups really looking at that photograph and then look, looking down where it was. So I think they really do get the impression of uh, what the area was like. So I think the photographs nicely fill in for what's not there anymore. Richard, how many um, guides do you have uh, working for you on the Jack the Ripper walks? Well, we've, we've got the core of guides, which uh, uh, John and Philip are very much a co- the core of it. Uh, but in, in total, we've probably got around about, uh, I think it's, it, it's, yeah, it's 12, 12 guides in total who, do, who, do, who are on the books. And then there's a sort of a smaller pool of a few guides. For example, we've got an Itali- a group doing it in Italian on, on Tuesday, as I said. And we've got an Ita- Italian guide who's sort of going into that. But uh, it's, it, it's quite interesting to sort of see how it, how it translates to other, to other languages. And do your um, uh, guides work in shifts or, or, uh, or can they can, uh, uh, a specific group requests a specific guide, or or how does it tends that work? to happen? What tends to happen is when when we when we got the tour in, we we sort of call around. We 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 go to our call guides first and say, "Can you do this night?" And they say yes or no, and then we sort of move on through there. But. Um, we, we often we, we often get uh, lots lots of requests for specific guides. I mean, uh, uh, that dare I say it, but we do get a lot of requests for Philip and John. And, uh, hey, requests. That's all, mem- that's all members of my family. This is it. <laughs> I, make them, I make them ring up regularly. <laughs> well, I did, did have a fun one. I, I'm glad I've had the opportunity to mention this. There was a really fun one on Friday night. It was a couple actually turned up to the Whitechapel Society meeting we had last night as well. They're that into it. They came on a tour. Um, a about, I think it's about two months ago, and they'd specifically come on it so they could um, get a copy of my book from me. And Richard was taking the tour, and they got a copy of Richard's DVD, the latest one afterwards. And the man took it home, and his mum saw it, and then he came last night, so on Friday night with his mum, expecting Richard to take the tour, and they got me. So both times they didn't get the one they wanted. <laughs> <laughs> 
now, I, I, I do know uh, Richard has to take off here shortly, um, but I want to get a couple more questions in. And, and, and um, do you uh, have operate your tours? I know there's a lot of evening tours, like you're about to go on one uh, here after we finish the podcast. I'm all, uh, I'm, but, I'm all right now, sir. So. Oh, you are? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, but you're not going to be going on one? Or? No, I, 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 I can be here as long as you want now. <laughs> oh, okay, great. Um, well, um, do, do, you, um, do you do these uh, tours all day long, like in shifts, or, or are they mainly uh, taking place in the evenings? Or how, What's the schedule like of, of when your tours it's- are operating? Well, it's mainly. I mean, we we have the seven p.m. departure every night of the week, uh, and then we we. But uh, during the day, we we do uh, exclusively private tours. So a lot of the school tours are during the day. So uh, we basically. Will, I mean, they can start at ten in the morning. They can be eleven in the morning. We can have sort of in the afternoon. A, f- a favourite thing that uh, sadly that doesn't happen that much anymore was to combine a Jack the Ripper tour with us, and then either go on to the uh, museum in Docklands and do the Jack the Ripper exhibition, or do that in the morning, and then come to us in the afternoon. But that's been replaced now by the London Dungeon. Mm. And are there peak times of the year for your industry? Uh, I don't think there's peak times as such, but, uh, but obviously people do like it when it's dark. I mean, the comment you, you always get uh, at this time of year is, you know, I, I was thinking of doing it in the, in the summer when it's, uh, when it's a bit warmer, but then it suddenly struck me that maybe it's not so good when it's light. Uh, and the observation I make there is, well, you know, it, it, it's, different, it's a different dynamic. And basically in the summer, you can see a lot more of the buildings. And certainly on the dark nights, it is a lot, it is, there is the atmosphere there. You can, you can almost feel, especially in Gunthorpe Street, the menacing sort of uh, environment around you but uh, as i say in the summer it's the, the, the plus is that you know it's light into the evening you can really study the buildings okay, this time of year you, you see as many people on the tours as, like in the winter time as as opposed to the summer or oh very very much so yes i mean we we, we, we tend to there the tends to be a decline in numbers in august for us uh, uh, but uh, i would say our busiest period is probably the october october through to january uh, as, 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 i mean ha- halloween's quite bi- <laughs> incredibly busy for which I've, I've, ne- I've never quite understood <laughs> why but uh, but no a lot, a lot of people see it as a halloween thing to do and then i bet um every time a uh, show like Whitechapel or a new book that becomes popular comes out you uh get a little boon in your business Oh yes, I mean think of things like why well, people want to come and sort of see the sites, and there's oh yeah, and it's quite nice to, to sort of link in, sort of say. I mean, I I I have to confess, I've not I've not actually watched Whitechapel because it uh, yet. I've got it on uh, I've got it on dis, uh, or I recorded it to watch later, but unfortunately for me, it clashed with Twenty Four, and I couldn't uh, give Jack Bauer up for Whitechapel. <laughs> no, couldn't give up Jack Bauer for Jack the Ripper. For Jack the Ripper. <laughs> yeah. I do want to ask Richard. Um, while we have you here uh, briefly, and this kind of re- and it's off topic, I'm sorry about that, but it's um, concerning last week's episode of the podcast. We were talking with Paul Begg about his visit to the Broadmoor Asylum archives to read the Cutbush information. Can you kind of um, describe for us your side of uh, how how that all came about? It came about, uh, I, I got a phone call from the Daily Telegraph, uh, or oh, sorry, the Sunday Telegraph in England, saying, uh, they wanted to discuss the Cutbush files, and they said uh, because they're going to be open very soon. And uh, so I, I thought, oh, so I, I, I gave a call to the uh, 
to the archives and uh, that's it, you know, is, it po- is it possible to make an appointment to come and see them and they said well yeah no problem they said what, t- what time do you want to come so I said oh I'd like to go down and nine, uh, as soon as possible so m- maybe 9am and they said yes so they booked it all in and then I phoned Paul up and said do you fancy going down and uh, he said oh certainly so uh, me, me and Paul went down the night before and sort of uh, stayed, stayed in a stayed there, down there and ha- had a few drinks and a Chinese meal and then we were there spot on nine to sort of see them as they came out but it was quite interesting that we we, we took a, there was a, f- a film crew with us who weren't allowed to, to film in there but they they kept smuggling sort of camera out to try and get a sort of a, a, it was a battle between them and the uh, the librarians but uh, then they went outside and sort of filmed us through the windows but it, it, was, it was quite interesting to, or quite fascinating to see them because it's I mean I, I like so many people I, I've, I've always dismissed Cutbush basically because of what McNaughton says refuting the evidence against him but uh, when, when you start to read the files you start to see that there is stuff in there that does make you think twice about it like what specifically? Because I know that that's kind of a similar comment as what Paul Begg said last week, that his opinion of Cutbush has changed slightly since he's seen the archives. Um, what exactly are the points that are, are revealed in his files that makes you maybe take a second look at him? I, well, I think I think the, the 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 degree of his violence does does make you want to take a second look at it. And there's also the little, little statements when you compare them to what the son says about him. Uh, you you start to see the angle the son was coming from. There's also I mean one of the most fascinating things for me was that uh, there was a letter from his solicitor in Paternoster Square uh, saying basically that uh, that that Cutbush was wasn't guilty of what he'd been charged with uh, or what he, what the police charged him with, and uh, that uh, they'd had a barrister or a lawyer on on, on standby who was ready to go and sort of say he's going to be dismissed but then the police got in there first and brought the um, had had him committed so that he couldn't present his evidence so that i found that quite interesting the uh, the solicitor complaining that his uh, his client hadn't been given the chance to present his side of the case uh, there's the um, the the other thing that uh, um, it's a complete, complete aside but uh, it it crops up time and again in the records that he 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 doesn't like milk in his tea and you wonder why why is that such a big issue but that that's on there but I think it, it's uh, I, I think people because of what Norton said people were people dismiss Cutbush and he he does get dismissed out of hand but I I do think there's a lot in his character a lot in his violence that really it, he he is worth a, a good second look at now. Okay, my question being so off topic, two listeners um, submitted questions concerning your visit to the Cutbush Archives, so um, that's why I had to throw that in there. Um, now, since you're, you don't have to go anywhere, Richard, um, if you guys don't mind, I'll ask a few more questions regarding the tour. Yep. Okay. Yes, no problem. Yeah. Okay, okay, well, since you were talking about suspects, um, how much do you uh, get into suspects theorizing when you're, when you're taking the tour groups around? Do you find? Do you mention only the the popular ones like the Royal Conspiracy Theory, or maybe Patricia Cornwell, or you know, do you try to educate the the tour groups on on some of the lesser known suspects, or or do you just avoid suspect discussion altogether? I, I think in my case, I mean, I I I, I do like to sort of uh, avoid too getting too bogged down in the suspects, uh, simply because I don't think there's the time once you once you, once you start going down an avenue. <laughs> Uh, of suspects, then you get the problem that uh, you've got to start discussing, explaining why, explaining why this person wasn't, then everybody's got an opinion on it. But the, the ones that tend to come up time and again, and I'm sure John and Philip both have this, is people come up and say, well, is it true he was a member of the royal family then? <laughs> and uh, yeah. of course, that, that, that's yeah. the most common thing. Uh, I like to go with suspects at the time, because one of the things that has always struck me about it is you, you get these press reports at the time, 
of entire communities who are living in cellars in the area who only ever come up at night. Uh, and one of the points I like to make to the groups is that you know every, every time there was a murder, the police trawled the area. They went into the area to try and find him, and they were picking up uh, batches of misfits and lunatics off the streets. So I think it's when you start looking at things like that, you, you get the impression just how difficult it was for the police at the time because how, how do they find one man uh, in an area that's uh, overflowing uh, if, the, if the press reports are to be believed with all these uh, misfits and violent people? I have seen Philip in a documentary do his spiel about the Goulston Street Graffito. Is that something that you incorporate in your Ripper Walk, Philip, when you get to Goulston Street to dismiss the uh, Masonic angle of the I ride? I never or speak or? about never speak about the Masonic angle unless somebody asks me directly because it takes so long to explain and the story is so convoluted. And because it's uh, you know it's basically based on a lie anyway. Um, you know, I, I only try to tell people stuff that we that we know as fact. I do go into suspects at the end, but I spend about ten minutes on it, dismissing the royal conspiracy, dismissing Gull, and mentioning the ludicrousness of uh, Leopold II and uh, and Lewis Carroll. Just to, but that's to give people an idea of how outlandish some of the theories are. Right. I, I do my suspect bit at the end. I sort of put them in little categories. So I sort of say there were the ones at the time. Of by which time I've already mentioned. John Pizer anyway, and I do the, you know, there was things like uh, Eisenschmidt, things like that, I mentioned Kosminski and things like that are the sort of contemporaneous ones, and then I say, then you've got the silly ones, like Lewis Carroll, and that's when I do a quick one minute Royal Conspiracy Theory, and then... One minute? Blimey. Don't ask me to do it, I have to have a group of <laughs> no, um, Yeah, it's probably two minute, but... Um, and then at the end, there's a couple of sort of more recent suspects. So it'll be like Tumblety or Maybrick or whatever. But I don't actually say who I think it would be. And the odd thing is, is they change every time. It depends who comes to mind. And one day, someone at the at the end, as we were walking back, said, "I noticed you didn't mention Tumblety." I thought, oh, "No, I didn't." I said, "No," because I didn't come to mind at the time. And then the next time, <coughs> I mentioned him, and someone said, "Who was the one that wrote the diary?" Which I hadn't mentioned, so you can't win. It's, it just depends on what comes into my mind at the time. But um, because you're sort of summing up that no one knows who he is, you know, so it's, it's always good to just bring up a few. But um, it's no bias, I must say. Now, I'd think that even like an outlandish suspect like the Elephant Man, Joseph Merrick, would be <laughs> useful to mention only because of the proximity of the London Hospital where he was at at the time of the murders. And that might, you know, uh, in my mind, it, it kind of. You know, people might have seen the movie The Elephant Man, and, you know, it kind of gave it a sense of time and place, you know, that a lot of people might be more familiar with him from the movie than they would be from Jack the Ripper. So, um, at the end, um, you guys get people asking you questions that, that are mostly focused on suspect theories, or, or what, are the, what are the kind of questions, like, at the end of the tour that you, you receive? And do you mill about and talk? How long do you give the groups to kind of chat with you afterwards? I, I tend to give as, as long as long as they want. I mean, basically, I, I, as we we finish in Mitre Square, and so I take the groups out of Mitre Square and just show them where the underground system is, and then anybody who wants to stay behind can come up and ask questions. And that that's when you tend to get, like John says, all the people coming up. Well, I've heard about this, or what about Sickert, or mm. and then you, then you get then you get other people saying, oh, I, gr- I grew up in the area. Uh, what happened to such and such a street? So it's uh, it, it it can become quite a, quite a nice discussion. That's the point usually when you sort of get a. F- few questions and they're usually i find they're usually sort of suspect 
ones. Well, that, that's where you mm. get the the old chestnut. So, have you got an idea as to who it might be? And I always say, oh no, I gave up on suspects fifteen years ago and all this sort of thing. But um, yeah, that's when you start getting all those sort of questions. I had a suspect bra with two people who like <laughs> convinced it is X, Y, I, or Z. And well, I, I heard one uh, a while back i had a little group <coughs> of um, pensioners who were a bit grumpy they did they were sort of like they, they looked like they were saying come on impress me uh, without saying anything and right at the end as, as we were walking away um all walking away i heard one of them say well i know it was that bloke from liverpool he was like adamant <laughs> that it was it was him it was him a bloke from liverpool I think that's it. I think when a book comes out and people are on the chat show circuit, you often pe- get people up saying, well, I, they just take it as read that that's got to be who it was. So, uh, and no, no amount of saying, well, you know, uh, we'll convince them otherwise. Mm. It's like the old lady had on a tour some years back who demanded to know why I hadn't shown her the, uh, the house where Mary Kelly was murdered. When I told her it was demolished in uh, 1928, she said, no, I went on a tour 10 years ago and he showed us the actual house. And she refused to believe that it, it was it was no longer standing. <laughs> and Philip, you're the same way. You you uh, you're happy to uh, hang around after the tour is over to. Absolutely. When, when the when the tour is done, I immediately start heading off towards the tube station, and, and uh, people actually will come up to me when we're walking and ask me questions, and I'll walk back answering a question. If we haven't finished by the time we get to the station, I'll just stand outside and carry on talking to them till their curiosity is satiated. Right. Great. I go, in, I go in the pub sometimes afterwards, and suddenly you'll notice there'll be a couple of people in there, and they'll come over and say, oh, thanks for that, that was really good, whatever, and then they'll start talking to you then. I always have to go for a pint afterwards. You know, dry throat, dry throat, and all that after. <laughs> and, of course, of course, and never have yes, to pay for one after you've taken a tour either. <laughs> Is that true? Uh, everyone wants to buy you a drink afterwards. If you go oh, to the pub the... and other people are going, everyone wants to buy you yeah. a drink. Oh, great! There was an evening a while back when uh, I think it was me, Lindsay, and Jenny were in the pub after doing our respective tours. And um, Philip, you came in with RAF Lake and Heath, my favourite. Yes, there were so many of them that we were sitting on the table right next to where Philip was standing, and he was so, um, it was like a babe magnet. He was, he was so sort of surround, he was so surrounded by, you know, people saying, oh, hello, and asking questions. I think it was about half an hour before you realised we were actually sitting next to you. It was. It was, uh, it was really, oh, what yeah, an evening. they loved it, they loved it. I thought, I wish I'd had that look. <laughs> That was a really insane giggle that Phil just. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm just remembering it all. It was it was mental. It was yeah. I had I had only had a few copies of the book. It was like there was people running up and the books had long gone and posing for photographs. I'm thinking, God's sake, I'm only a tour guide, but I wasn't going to say no. It was great fun. But that's what's really good about it. I mean, that's a job. You know, you're you're okay. You're going out and about. You're meeting all sorts of different people. You're talking about something that you are interested in. So you get it's given you like a platform to to talk where others may not want to, you know, other people may not necessarily want to hear you going on about it all the time. But you meet all these people, and when you at the end of it, when people sort of tell you how pleased they were with it or how impressed they were with it, you sort of think, yeah, it's a good job, it's a great job, this, which is yeah. really nice. So when you get that sort of feedback, like Philip was getting the other week or whatever, just just anyone sort of saying bye bye, it's very good, thanks, makes it all worthwhile. It's really good. Yeah, it's just a, a, a quick word is nice. Yeah. Yeah. I Sorry, Ali. 
written it. It's okay. I've just I was I did suddenly have a question come up. I guess this one's to Richard. I've had some really horrible tour guides. I tend to go on tours with my mom just because she's older and you know it's sort of a set time and, and whatever. But um, I've had some horrible ones. I mean, just out now, ugh, awful. <laughs> and I was just wondering, how do you go about um, fire? Not so much firing, but like, how do you determine? When a tour, when it's when it's the tour that's not working, when it's not the tour guide, and what are what you know, sort of like what's the recourse for the people who've been on these really really horrible tours? I mean, because some people, I mean, they're just awful. And how do you keep quality when you? I mean, you're obviously not following them around, listening to their every spiel. So how do you maintain quality within an you know when when it's pretty much an independent collection of people all out doing their own thing? Well, I think on, on the whole for us, uh, we're very lucky in that we have got uh, a group of very dedicated guys. I mean, like uh, John, Philip, uh, Lindsay, uh, Jenny, that they're, they're, they are, they're very, very dedicated. I mean, I, I've been on tours uh, where I've gone around London where you, know, <laughs> you, just, you know the guy just doesn't want to be doing what they're doing. And, they're, and, they, you know, uh, and, and off they go. But I think, I think on the whole, it's, it's the, the passion that the guy, the guy puts into what they do. And I think... Maintaining the quality is, is uh, I mean, I, I, I'll turn up and meet people at the end of the tour sometimes. I will ask the people what they feel. We, we, we get feedback as well. We get a lot of, we get emails come in. Uh, sometimes there's been things that things have happened, like, uh, you know, as people haven't been paying attention, the tour has turned a corner and, uh, and they've missed the turning on the corner. And, and then, then obviously we, we, we sort of will move them to another tour or, or refund them, whatever. But I, I think on the whole, we do, we do quite, quite a, we've got quite a, quite a good team and we, we do maintain reasonable quality. But I think at the end of the day, it all boils down to you know, some people like certain guides, some people, some people don't like certain, certain people. So I think it's, it's, it, it's, it, 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 it's a thing that we, we like. We like feedback, and I think that's the only way you can maintain the quality is just encourage people to give you feedback, good or bad. Do you think it's the difference between having a tour guide who is an enthusiast in the subject versus having just a tour guide who's been hired by a tour company? Oh yeah, yes. I mean, I think just a, a guide who's just doing it because you know it's it's just one of a lot of tours that they do, and mm. so they're not particularly interested in the subject. I I, I mean we we. In fact, we don't. Have, in fact, we don't have any guides. Like that. All our guides are are interested in the subject, and and the, as I say, that the core of the guides they 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 study the subjects. They they're the experts on the subject. But I think that the, you know there are. I think in particular, it's it's not so much with the walking tours on the whole, but I think it happens a lot with the coach tours. Is that uh, coach tours? It's it's just an evening tour, but uh, it's fish and chips and a jack the ripper walk and maybe a river cruise, and the guides there. I think uh, it's just. You know, trotting out a very quick spiel, and then getting out of there, and then getting off to another part of London. So I think that that's where where I think you can get the guides who just don't want to do what they're doing. And you know, if they've got to get through Whitechapel and get on the coach, they tend to walk very fast. And like like you said about your mother, you get you get elderly people who can't walk that fast, and just feel that they've been left behind, feel they've been let down. Uh, I think with with us, I mean, one of the things we always do is make sure that the tour goes at the pace for the slowest person in the group. Which can have its, uh, the opposite effect in that uh, other people keep going, oh, you know, can't, can't we speed up a bit? Yeah. <laughs> and do you uh, find that you have repeat customers, Richard? Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we get people come back sort of, uh, year after year. Uh, I mean, obviously, it's, it's very rare that you 
I hate to say it, but it's very, very rare you recognise them. But you'll get people turn up and say, "Oh, I, I, I was on a tour with you in 1995," or you know, we'll get, we'll get, remember me? <laughs> remember me? <laughs> or you get people phone up and saying, "I was, I was on, I was on, yeah, we get, I was on Philip's tour, I was on John's tour last year. I want to go with them again. Uh, can you tell me when they're doing it?" So yeah, we, we do get a lot of repeat customers. I want to thank everybody for being on today: uh, Richard Jones, Philip Hutchison, and John Bennett from Discovery Tours. You can find out more information and book your tour at Richard's website, www.discovery-walks.com. And that's all the information um, that, that they would know would be contained on that website. Is that right, Richard? Uh, there's that one. The, the main one for booking is uh, rippertour.com. Okay. So just rippertour.com, all one word. Okay. And uh, I hope to one day be able to get to London, and I'll take a tour with each of your tour guides. <laughs> I was going to, I was going to say, hey, how, how are you going to deal with that one diplomatically? <laughs> <laughs> Submit graded slips afterwards. Yes, <laughs> and yes, you'll be hearing my review. <laughs> but but uh, it sounds like a lot of fun, and and I do wish I could go. I, if I lived there, I would go every week. So okay, we'd get we'd get a bit scared if you did we'd have to start avoiding that. <laughs> can you buy a season pass or you know at a discount or? <laughs> now who you were before going on the tour or would you wait until it was over I, because I, actually i'm sorry now i've got another question i mean seriously like phil this is i guess it's for phil or john or also for richard i, I suddenly had this thought like if, if someone like uh, you know jonathan or or someone who's really you know you know them from the case book, but you don't actually know them. And have you ever had a situation where someone, you know, sort of, you know, came on your tour and you had no idea? And then at the end of the day, hey, I'm so-and-so. But I just thought it was interesting. Would you play, if you knew who they were in advance, do you play more to them knowing that they're, they're knowledgeable? You know what I'm saying? I just, yeah, it, it, it suddenly conjured up an interesting scenario in my mind of like stealth tours, yeah. you know, where people sneak in and, yes, and I'll, maybe- I'll be undercover. I'll be wearing a big tumblety mustache. (laughs) (laughs) All ripper tourists are created equal. (laughs) I've never had someone on a tour where I didn't know who they were and they'd let me know afterwards. I've had a lot of people who are pretty high in the field and I felt really nervous about taking them on a tour. People like Neil Sheldon's been on it and uh, Rob Clack's been on it, Deborah Arif, uh, Kaz Morris. There's a lot of people on Casebook have, have done the tour and they've been in London with me. And you're far more scared about what you're saying when, the, when those people are with you. Just in, just in case you slip up. Everybody, when they're making a delivery sometimes, they might slip up on a time or a house number or someone's surname. And with, and with the majority of tourists, of course, you have to weigh up in a split second the odds. Do you go back and correct yourself and let people know you've made an error? Or do you just get used to the fact that the people in front of you almost certainly have no idea if you're telling them the truth or not and just let it go and carry on? But when it's, when it's someone who's a ripperologist, yeah, if there's a ripperologist there, then, then you've got to go back and correct yourself. <laughs> and so you have to really be on your toes. I've never, I've never had anyone knowingly had anyone of that ilk in any of mine that I've known about. But I did have um, somebody once whose name uh, was a very unusual name. It was, all, it was almost like an anagram. I can't remember what the name was now. Foreign name, and it, it was practically an anagram of Stuart Evans. And, um, <laughs> and the person did turn up for the tour, but it, it looked like an anagram of Stuart Evans. I thought, hello. <laughs> but no, I've never had any. Well, did, did, you have inspect, did you have Inspector Abilene once? Or? <laughs> <laughs> oh, so you provided a list of the names of the people who are going to be on your tour in advance? Or? 
Oh yes, yeah. We, uh, it's, it's all sort of listed out and then sort of emailed over to the guides, and then they, so they have a list with all the names on. <coughs> oh, okay. So, you, so you guys would scan this list for any any names that might <laughs> pop out at you. Yeah. So we'll have to and use fake names yeah. when we get to the spell. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we, we put in big letters. I said we have big letters alongside it. Undercover ripperologist. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, uh, thanks for that last question, Allie. That was that was a good one. And I want to thank everybody for being on again. Richard Jones, Philip Hutchison, and John Bennett. And that was RipperCast, episode 40, In the Footsteps of the Ripper, with Richard Jones and Discovery Tours. Their website, once again, is www.rippertour.com. And I want to thank Richard Jones, Philip Hutchison, and John Bennett for all being on the show today. We are a weekly podcast on Jack the Ripper and the Whitechapel Murders, available at the website www.casebook.org slash podcasts. If you have any questions or comments you would like to send us for myself or any of our participants, please email the show at rippernet at mac.com. And I want to thank everybody for listening. We'll see you next week.